1: You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're
0: listening to KZON, on Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, hey, Dave hey, how's, how's
2: everyone doing this week? Doing good. Doing yeah. good. Well, all right. How's 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 uh, everything in the goat world? They are hungry.
3: <laughs> oh, David, I met some goats this weekend um, oh. when I was um, at the coast. There was a. I went to that cr- uh, blue Heron creamery. Okay. Oh, cool. And it's like they have a they have a petting zoo, and it's all goats and donkeys and um, llamas and stuff like that. The funny thing is, is the lady handed me my bag of feed, and she's like, "Hang on to your bag; the goat will get it." And I was like, "How am I supposed to feed the goat then?" And I kept thinking about it. I was holding the bag out, and a goat bit half the bag
4: yep.
3: right out of my hand. <laughs> I was like, "Uh oh."
4: So That's were
3: they goat, goats or? <laughs> the goat just ate like half at my back? I'm like looking around, like, am I gonna get in trouble? <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. But why didn't really or cool? Little
3: goats? No, they were big. Like one of them had giant horns. I put it on my Instagram because he's like, he's like doing this like head wobble, like trying to hypnotize me, like a snake, like give me <laughs> one treat.
2: That's fine. <laughs> And the
3: donkeys were, like, super cute. They just ate the feed out of your hand, by the way. And I was all,
4: ugh, my hand (laughs) (laughs) blast! Yeah, er everyone thinks that, you know, donkeys are, like, sort of these ugly horses. But when they're babies, they're... They're so cute. They're very cute.
3: And they look so sad. Yeah. They just have this kind of downturned, like, kind of expression. And they're just so cute. But I guess this isn't the donkey
4: and goat show. But, I mean,
3: they are really dig-dig cute.
4: <laughs> oh yeah yeah despite my attempts to make it such
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i've i've just been working on projects printing things uh currently trying to print a facehugger uh printed a couple claws from uh skyrim and Wait, is it a uh, life-size
3: hugger? like like you could pop it on your your noggin
2: uh it's it's i want to say it's three-fourths scale
3: all right, all but right. It's flexible. If you have a little flexible. Right, yeah. hey kitty cat. They have
2: little, little, little flexible uh, legs and a flexible oh, tail. Creepy. So yeah,
3: <laughs> that's creepy. I love it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and I'm printing it in glow in the dark plastic.
3: Well, yeah, that you mean you just have to. I mean that yeah. to me says like it will stand out in the darkness more and be kind of you can reenact the scene, and be like game over, man.
2: Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so yeah, and uh, of course, I I am using my Cobra Go printer and uh, any cubic plastic, Uh, not the -the glow-in-the-dark stuff, but all my other plastics, any cubic. And go to the show notes, get that stuff. And speaking of things that shine like glow-in-the-dark plastic, shining trapezohedron Is yes. our first topic for today? So cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shining trapezohedron. Dave, what's a tra- trapezohedron?
4: A thing that shines. <laughs>
2: oh man, I, you're 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 not our you're not
4: our math guy. I forget. No, yeah, I'm guys. not. <laughs> um, I don't know how many sides a trapezoid he didn't
2: has. Well, um, a trapezohedron uh, has traps. Maybe. I don't know. Let me just <laughs> check that out real quick. A trapezohedron is... Uh, I, I don't even know if a trapezohedron is a real thing or if Lovecraft made that up. No, uh,
4: no, it's a thing, but it's yeah, like not a say. thing.
2: Okay, it's a geometric uh, tetrahedron with six vertices, eight edges, and four degenerate kite faces. Ooh. Yeah. So
4: vaguely we're talking ten-sided dice?
2: Yeah, 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 it's a ten-sided die.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it kind of looks like... I I mean, it kind of looks like a ten-sided die, but it's non... Is it... It says it's dual uniform. I don't really understand what pentagonal trapezohedron. And...
4: Yeah, it's non-Euclidean.
2: It's, yeah,
3: it's, there you go.
2: I don't know if it's it's supposed to be non-Euclidean, but it is definitely like it. it it's like someone took a ten-sided die and pulled the long, pointy parts out further. Mm. Yeah, is is pretty much what it looks like. If if I was going to describe it.
4: And, but you and, might go mad. And I've always imagined it, and I probably because pictures like from Chaos and stuff. I always imagined it crystalline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's sort of crystal like.
3: I was thinking of like you know those um are they called alexandrite those stones that have that one color property and then when you shine them in front of fire they turn like a blood red. Yeah. Is that yeah. alexandrite?
4: I think so. Uh, I think so. I know I haven't put Alexandrite in front of fire, but I know it does have some interesting color.
3: Yeah, there's like... I, gosh, what is the name of that stone? Man, it's gonna come to me. I feel like it's Alexandrite, but...
2: <laughs> Emerald like, by day, ruby di- by right? night. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 No. Uh, Alexandrite is a very rare color change variety of the uh, mineral uh, Chrysobio... Yeah. Uh, Chrysobiral, Chrysoberyl? Anyway, yeah.
3: Yes, that's- Alexandrite. It confirmed. Confirmed. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what I always pictured it. Well, I mean, like, that's how I just recently pictured it. Let's be mm. honest.
2: <laughs> yeah, this one for some reason I've always imagined it being like black or red, is kind of how it works. But um, I think that's from my own RPGs, but <laughs> totally. <laughs>
3: I like the Haunter in the Dark, though, I gotta say.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, Haunter in the Dark, really cool. Um, the Shining uh, Trapezohedron, it's it's supposed to be something that deals with uh, Lethotep, but, uh, yeah, like, used to summon Narlethotep and his uh, avatar, the Hunter of the Dark.
4: So I want to know what my big problem has always been with Haunter in the Dark. What's What's that? that? Is that I couldn't quite believe that nobody went up and disturbed that church for 40 years or 60 years, however long it was.
2: Oh, I I, I always uh, imagined that there was some sort of like spell cast on it. Like I imagined something kind of like in the shadow, the movie, how like there was that whole (laughs) building that you couldn't see that the rest of Providence or Boston, or I can't remember where does, uh, Haunter in the Dark take place, I think.
4: Providence, I believe.
2: Providence. Okay. So like part of my brain is like, what if Narlethotep has some sort of hypnosis or like the, the, the cult, the church, whoever, uh, Whatever it is, there's something in the church, maybe even the shining trapezohedron
4: itself. Well, that, that's it. When I was rereading it, I it, thinking it, it's because of the trapezohedron that yeah. you know, it puts some sort of reality warp, or it protects the church yeah. until Robert Blake gets there.
2: Yeah, and it may be because of the fact that he's perched up high enough uh, in his apartment, it may be because of the fact that he has something different going on with his head, or it may be the fact that the shining trapezohedron is calling to him specifically that I think he can see it.
3: Yeah, that's, it. that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like it was something that maybe like optically people weren't able to see unless they were drawn or lured to it. Yeah. I mean that's the impression I get. I, I gotta say this is a great story. Oh <laughs> it's like yeah, it's a, a fun lot of story. Fun, I love it. Really, it's okay. So again, it's it's kind of one of those those Lovecraft stories that I'm, I'm like I love the pace of this story, and I of course listened to it as like um, the audio drama done by the Dark Adventure Theater Association. Oh
2: cool, yeah, and so one.
3: it was so chilling and fun, and you know what? I realized something suddenly. Um, the movie In the Mouth of Madness definitely, yeah. definitely pulls from this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because there's that, that part where um what is it? Setter Kane lives inside of the black church that um the children were lured to lured to and then mm-hmm. would kill anybody else, like strike them with lightning as it got closer. Come on.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> definitely. I mean that was like a direct, I was all this is this.
2: Yep. Yes.
3: I mean, so, felt like word for, word for word almost. I mean, except for like the fact that their the Church of um, Starry Wisdom, based on like, um, they didn't have that. The character um, Senator Kane didn't have like a, a, a cult yeah.
4: of his.
2: Yeah, no, no. But yeah, no,
4: definitely. So I can see. It's not the only story that It appears in. Yeah. So in the end, we are told that. De- only one line that Dr. Yes, throws it in the water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, so, so just I'm sure we got it. So, Robert Blake here is Robert Block. Yeah. Lovecraft dedicated this one of the few, if not only, stories he dedicated to someone was Robert Block because Block had killed Lovecraft off on a previous story. So, it was suggested that Lovecraft kill Block off and so he created Robert Blake and at the end Ambrose Dexter well Dr. Dexter in this one throws the trap of Herodon or whatever into the lake Mm -hmm. 30 years later Block writes the um, shadow from the steeple where we find out that Dexter was possessed by Narla Hotep and he goes back and gets it Mm -hmm. And this is where I think I sort of kind of link. This is not just a random thing. This is a long con plan by Narlahotep to end the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So so we learn in the shadow of the steeple that this possessed version of Dexter, who is actually Narlahotep, goes and starts school again, despite having a medical degree. Mm -hmm. Gets a PhD in physics And becomes part of Oppenheimer's team The atom bomb And
3: Dun 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 Mm
4: -hmm. And so Yes so the This was just a thrown out character And I double checked today Dexter is only mentioned once as Disposing of it But Block and if anybody had the right To do this definitely Block I mean this was a story written for him with him as the main character, sure. Now there is another story that I have not read, but influences Chaosium. Uh, I think oh, Dexter. Yeah. Where where Dexter then steals the Necronomicon and because his attempts to cause a nuclear war haven't uh, come to fruition, Pho- and, and he's killed by MI5. Okay. In an island.
3: I thought you were talking about the um story the cult of story wisdom in the um by um uh, George R. R. Martin. Because he has like a, his care he has the that cult in his story, the songs of fire are nice, blah, 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 like mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what is it? A song of ice and fire. Okay. I think you're right. There we go. A S
4: a- but drowned <laughs> God too. What's that? Is it the drowned god in that?
3: I think so. I think yeah.
4: so. Yeah. But I like, just thought it
3: was cool that that was because you were saying another writer was influenced and I was like, oh yeah, George R.R. George R. Martin. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, like the Love and like the Drowned God are like totally a thing, I guess.
3: Yeah, yeah. From what definitely. I
2: understand. I haven't read it. I've seen some of the TV shows but didn't pay a ton of attention to it.
3: Uh, no, man, I didn't read the books either. I, I just remember reading excerpts about it and then... Um, because I was kind of getting down this like rabbit hole of like the Church of Starry Wisdom, and then I was like, oh, what is that movie Starry Eyes? Is that based on the Church of Starry Wisdom as well? Well, no, that's just some other
2: crazy yeah. horror
3: film that was awesome. But yeah, no, no, it was it was cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, there's some Nephrim Ka stuff in the story. Uh, there's there's a uh, like there's there's uh, stories about how the Shining Trap is like something that was created on Yagath? I am trying to say I think this is uh Call of Cthulhu the RPG. But it was uh-huh. created on Yagath and brought to the earth by the
4: old ones. Uh I believe that comes out of Mask of Narlhokep or no? Okay.
2: Narl-K. Okay. And uh the elder things had it and then the serpent men of Velusia had it and then the oh, yeah first humans of Lemuria, later Atlantis, and then ancient Egypt, specifically Nephrim-Ka. Um, as, as as we all know, uh, in Call of Cthulhu, Nephrim-Ka was the pharaoh who worshipped Naralethotep. Um, yes. And then, yeah, yeah, uh, then it ends up in a, uh, a church that used to be the uh, the... the Headquarters for the uh, Starry Wisdom. And uh, then Blake finds it. And then Dexter finds it. And then he yeah. throws it into the... Uh, the... The, uh, Nagisha, Shaget, uh, the, uh,
4: the water. Uh, Narangasit Bay. Yes. And then he goes back and gets it. Yep.
3: I like how often this is a repeating um, concept in a lot of um, these kinds of stories. Is that the, the, some, I don't know how to explain it other than like you're, you're fated to repeating a mistake like being possessed by a stone or, being possessed by a book if you touch it, or being possessed by, you know, in general, like it seems to that seems to be like a a control like loss that's
2: yeah.
4: a
3: theme in the in Lovecraft's work.
4: Absolutely,
2: definitely, definitely.
3: I just think that it's that what well, a lot of these characters are very um, how to put it, like they're kind of like alpha male characters a little bit, and then they um, lose their. Strength, they like kind of get knocked down to zero hit points. <laughs> like, uh, you know, know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's just I just find it really interesting that there's um, and I'm always drawn to these particular these particular stories by Lovecraft, like this one and the one of the museum um story that I really like those <laughs> s- escape like stories, like we're we're trying to get away from a thing and it's chasing behind us. It's almost yeah. there. Ah, you know. <laughs> I love I love those kind of vibe stories.
4: Uh, absolutely.
2: And I feel like when Ambrose Bierce apes Lovecraft, it's more like, I'm writing in my journal as the thing's about to attack me. Ah, I'm being eaten.
3: Right, right.
2: The thing is at the door. I and mean, it's like, like, Lovecraft is like, I put the gun to my head as the opium courses through my veins <laughs> and I ready the bullet for myself, you know? And I can see it in the window. I I love that. I love that. And I feel like that is something, like, charmingly Lovecraft as, oh, yeah,
3: yeah. as AF, as the kids say. <laughs>
2: oh, certainly. Oh, I don't even think the kids say that anymore. Oh, but, dang. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, it's, it's it's not quite that in this, this story, but I do like how there is a bit of a journal aspect to this. Mm-hmm. And it, yes. it it's plain homage to uh, Robert Bloch's writing style at the time, which was very kind of like journal entry kind of like, this is a thing that totally happened to me today, everyone. Uh, And also like...
3: (laughs) This is a thing that totally happened to me, everyone. (laughs) Robert
2: Blake's (laughs) writing style at the time was very kind of like journalistic, but also Mm -hmm. like horrific. Like if you go with like a journal found in the woods, it's about a 15-year-old Who's part of a cult? Or you, you, you mean a... uh, journal found in an abandoned house? Yes. What did I say? Uh, found in the woods. Oh yeah, yeah. close enough. Little, little, little house in the journal in the swamp, or the who knows. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's a great story. It's an amazing story, and uh, I I feel like Lovecraft and Block really kind of like sharpened each other when it came to this kind of stuff. And uh, Lovecraft loved what Block wrote, and Block loved what Lovecraft wrote, and carried that with him for, I'd say, the rest
4: of his career as a writer. Uh, Oh, absolutely. And you're you're absolutely right. Uh, And it's Notebook Found in a Deserted House. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Mm. Which is probably... First of all, you got to believe that this twelve, thirteen, fourteen-year-old kid can write so well. Yeah, but it yeah. probably is the best of the Lovecraftian circle, non-Lovecraftian stories, and mm-hmm. and I include Robert E. Howard's writing in that.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I I include uh, Clark Ashton Smith's writing in that, and Block is an amazing writer. He's not as like flowery as, 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 uh, as, as Clark Ashton Smith. And he's not as like verbose as, as Lovecraft. And certainly not as like smash him in the face as like uh, Howard was, but yeah, Block has his own thing and it's, 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 it's like his inexperience and his youth in the beginning that makes, what Block writes, just so kind of cool yeah. and charming. And then as he gets older, it just gets gets a little bit darker and more horrific. And it's always been horrific, but it gets more like realistic horrific. Yeah. And, like, Block's true crime stuff is definitely worth checking out if you ever have a chance.
3: Would you <laughs> think... Oh, I'm sorry. Go
2: no, ahead. Go ahead. Not, not true crime, but his, like... Um, Crime stories and stuff like that. It's 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 like cool stuff. Yours
4: truly Jack the Ripper? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
3: <sighs> is this like a is this considered a pulp story, um, The Hunter in the Dark?
2: I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
3: just because of like the the vibe it has, I'm just trying to pinpoint like the which Lovecraft stuff I seem to be like kind of drawn towards. I'm like, what well, what do I like more? So when I was younger, I really was like, it's Call of Cthulhu and the Mounds of Madness. You know, I was like, that's the stuff I liked. But I'm like, sure. now it's all like, I'm getting more, um, more. I like some of the the lesser known stories a little bit more. Or like, I don't know if this one's a lesser known or not.
2: Well, I I mean it's it's a it's a known story.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't
2: know what's lesser known or not known. I just like know them all and mix the names up and I'm like, yeah, this is the church <laughs> one with the, uh, yeah. with the, with the stone. <laughs> Which I is yeah.
3: such a cool thing. Like I said earlier, I like, I always like the, the idea of the, the thing that controls and it's kind of a, like a something from out of this world or whatever. Yeah. Or for the devil. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, and the things I think of is, did Blake ever have a choice? Did Blake ever have a choice? Was was Blake always destined to show up at this sure. place and end up dying? It's was it was it like Blake was attuned to this building and when he showed up he just saw it was the building going to just like spot Blake out more than any or the stone going to like just like hone in on Blake? It's like maybe was this like inevitable thing if Blake went to this area? And that's, Maybe that's the, something.
3: The I'm destiny was that Narthletep wanted um, Blake to get the stone out, and the stone to get into Dexter's hands.
2: Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, and, we don't know what the the great one, the old ones, were thinking.
4: Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I think that that's easily inferred from the shadow from the steeple. Mm, okay. I, I, I and, and it's probably been a decade since I've read it, but uh, they're great back to back reads. Okay. And especially since, I think, since The Shadow of the Steeple was written, like, early 50s. Mm. I mean, so nuclear power was a real thing. You know, World War II was over when it was written.
3: Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah.
4: Very fun. Very
2: cool.
3: Shiny stones.
2: Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey everyone, if you're listening to this and you're, like, crawling around in an old church and you find a shiny stone in the box that's just in a, like, black room, leave it alone. It's not worth it. Someone left it there for a reason. (laughs) If you're crawling around somewhere and you, you know, have to break down a firewall to get into somewhere and you find stuff, leave it. If you're, like, you know, renovating your house and you find a room and there's stuff in there... Leave it alone. It's there <laughs> right. for a reason. I mean, I know horror movies whatever. That stuff's not real, but just for just just for the sake of it, leave it alone. I mean, it, you didn't know about it until then. It's not going to hurt you. Um, unless there's like, you know, stuff that's showing you that it's going to hurt you, <laughs> then you should consult your Clergy or bartender. Um, you know, you live your life how you do. Or right.
4: your nurse love crafting.
2: Yes. So. Uh, I recommend contacting uh, Derek M. Cook, uh, cult detective. So. Because <laughs> I don't take those kind of calls anymore. All right. So that's the Shining uh, Trapezohedron, unless anyone had anything else to say about it.
4: Mm-mm. I think that we have covered it quite a
2: bit. All right. Dave, do we have a middle section figured out yet?
4: So, yes. So, okay. This is a question that will be asked in the middle section. Imagine you see a UFO. Okay. And then out of this UFO, aliens come out. What do these aliens look like? And I'm willing to bet if we ask this question and they don't lock you up, eight, nine out of ten people are going to describe some version of the Greys. Oh. So how did the Greys become our go-to socially acceptable alien? Hmm. And we're going to lead on to this. Maybe next time we'll discuss some other aliens that people said they've seen that don't look like little gray naked people with big black eyes. All right. All right. Cool. Wow, I was, I was thinking, that, like,
2: like, don't aliens look like tall, handsome Scandinavians in, like, v-neck <laughs> sweaters?
3: I love that show.
2: North. Made, made out of, like, uh,
4: I don't know. I, I want to say terry cloth or something. Yeah, so so the three sort of socially accepted aliens are the Greys, the Nords, and the Reptilians. Yeah. yeah. So one other thing we want to do is we want to give a big congratulations to a friend of the show, who's someone who's been on in the past and will hopefully be on soon, and that is Dr. S- uh, Samantha Underhill. Oh, cool. I haven't gotten my copy yet. But she has just been published in the most recent issue of uh, Weird Tales, the cosmic horror episode. Well, oh, that's cool. very cool. And it has on the cover Hellboy. So, oh, guys, rad. I'm really excited to get my my uh, Weird Tales. And we're hoping uh, to get Sam back on the show. And she's going to tell us a little bit about that experience.
2: Very awesome. cool. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Okay, so, and then after that, we're going to be talking about, in my opinion, probably one of the most influential horror movies of the early 90s by a long shot. Yeah, all right. So we'll be talking about Jacob's Ladder, and we'll try not to spoil it for anyone. Um,
3: Oh, we're going to spoil it. It's been 1990, you guys. Yeah,
2: yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, like, Jacob's Ladder scenario, people say that, more than they say, like, I don't know, yeah. uh, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge scenario.
4: Uh <laughs> or, 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 or six Or what? Sixth cents. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about that in a moment, everyone. And um we'll see moving on to the next part. Just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people. Subscribe to the podcast. Find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed. If you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason, you can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be
4: everybody, it's me, Farmer Dave, and uh, it's just you and me and we're going to talk a little bit of things. So uh, I figured, why don't we just, maybe, why don't you share something with me? Really? Honestly? You like DB and Gretchen more than you like me? That's just harsh. I mean, harsh realm's harsh. Nah, it's okay. Everybody likes them more than they like me. Okay, so uh, let me choose the subject. So I want you guys to... Let's do a thought experiment. I want you guys to think in your mind, imagine you see a UFO. Probably disc shape, maybe a black triangle. Uh, But, you know, a UFO. Now it lands, and alien creatures come out. What do those aliens look like? Unless you're going to quote, like, Vulcans, or describe, you know, Wookiees, more than likely you're going to pick greys. Small to large, usually naked, gray-skinned aliens with large black eyes. That is the pop culture icon that is basically burned into our imagination of what aliens look like, whether you believe in them or not. Pretty much has been since Close Encounters of the Third Kind. When you hear someone is claiming to have seen an alien being, in most cases that is what your mind's gonna jump to. And to some degree, that is what is socially acceptable. To a small degree, certain amounts of accepted paranormal events are culturally accepted. And I'll give you a couple examples before I jump into aliens. If someone tells you that, you know, they saw a rocking chair move, or they were at their grandmother's funeral, and out of the corner of their eyes they saw their grandmother's spirit, that's okay. That even if you don't believe in the supernatural or a ghost, you don't look at that person as crazy. At the most, you're sympathetic towards them that they're a grieving grieving individual who, you know, their mind manifests the, the love they still have for the grandparents. You don't think they're crazy. Now, somebody comes in and says, you know, Casper the friendly ghost or this full-on demon started talking to him, maybe you're going to begin to wonder. Same thing if someone says, you know, I was feeling bad or I had a minor injury or something bad happened to my family and I prayed, and I felt better, or the situation got better, more power to them. You could be an atheist and still socially accept that they had an experience, they were in a bad situation, it got better, and they attribute it to prayer. But someone says, I saw God. Well, then, you begin to wonder. You begin to question. Someone tells you, hey, I saw something in the sky, I didn't recognize it. It didn't look like a plane or a bird. It was something weird. Okay, sure, that happens to me too. If they say they were w- encountered an alien, then you know, maybe you question, especially if you don't believe in aliens. but you began to but they describe the alien as this small gray creature with a big head and large black eyes. And at least you know what they're talking about. You accept it as part of the cultural site. But if they describe something that doesn't quite fit into either this gray or reptilian or human-looking Nordic creatures, there's some resistance and pushback, even from ufologists. So we're going to talk a little bit about the high weirdness cases, the aliens which looked different or reported and looked different. And we're also going to discuss how most of, if not all of these, were one-offs, that they were never really seen again. Does that mean that it wasn't true? Does that damage the reliability of the witness? I don't know. Even from a cultural aspect I'm not sure. I just know that you don't see, you know, the Flatwood monster. Well, maybe I see Flatwood monster on people's bumper stickers or uh, or the Kelly Hopkins Goblin in you know, things like lunch boxes. They did not become the icon that the Grays and to a lesser extent the Nords and the reptilians did. So before we go too far, we have to have basically this classic debate that I've had several people who have who discussed with me, and they've been extremely passionate one side or the other. And this is, would aliens look like you and me? Now I mean, not necessarily just like a homo sapien, I mean, bipedal, uh, eyes. Ears, head on the top of their body. And many people are extremely passionate that no, if there was something that was an intelligent life form in other planets, it would not look like us. It would be truly alien. And we see Lovecraft expressing this in his writings, you know, in the 20s and the 30s where we see creatures like the Elder Thing or uh, the Shoggoth, things that are distinctively not human or humanoid, and that he openly mocks the science fiction tropes of the little green men or uh, aliens that look like humans, only slightly different. In the 80s, The idea that aliens would be truly alien is going to be championed by Carl Sagan. And I know quite a few people that are very passionate on this. But to some extent, the pendulum has swung. And it is the thought that, yes, in weird sort of space situations such as You know, the moon of Saturn, Titan, or Mercury, or planets like that in other galaxies or other solar systems, yes, intelligent life could evolve different from us. But in worlds that are like Earth, what uh, astronomers call the Goldilocks worlds, where there's a situation where there can be liquid water things aren't boiling over, where there could be land uh, and earth-like environments, why would evolution be different in space on an earth-like world than it is here? Now, we can assume what we're talking about intelligent life form that's capable, if it is capable at all, reaching distant planets. That makes them tool users you know there could be a planet where where evolution starts on dry land but for sake of argument let's assume that on these other planets just like earth evolution life started in the waters the oceans and then came ashore so these creatures that are going to evolve into intelligent tool using and possibly intergalactic traveling creatures, are going to more than likely be shaped by predators, just as Homo sapiens were shaped, evolution was shaped by predators. So that gives them an extinct advantage of being able to, you know, be bipedal, to be able to climb on trees to get away from them, to have hands where you could use tools where you have a head above your body with eyes with a neck that can turn look other ways and you know two sets of eyes that would give you you know binocular vision now not necessarily like us with hair or size or skin color or scales or texture but there is a argument that i think is much more accepted than it was say when Lovecraft or Sagan were having these debates that aliens have to be truly alien. Now, I'm not saying that I believe in greys, but I think that it is possible that life form like them evolved on another planet because life forms like you and me evolved on this planet. There is also an adjunct to the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis that the true aliens really are these supernatural beings that are so above us as we are above ants and that they are so above us that it's almost impossible for them to interact with us so they created a minion a server race an intermediary and that that is what the greys are I'm not saying that I particularly believe these sightings, but I do think that it is possible that maybe the answer, and I very few people who I hear this saying in this debate, you know, do aliens, intelligent aliens, are they hominids and like us, or are they truly alien? Well, the answer could legitimately be both but that maybe there's more argument that they would be more akin to at least looking like us than not looking like us if they are going to be evolved into advanced tool users in a Earth-like environment. I'm looking at you, Klingons and Twi'leks. So in part two of this, I'm going to go over some very specific cases Interesting cases of aliens that are reported to be real that don't look like the grays. But I think, in part of this preliminary part, we kind of have to discuss the watershed case that is going to bring the grays into our, you know, cultural consciousness. And the pop culture event first that brought, you know, Greys into their predominance, of course, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They had been reported a long time before. They'd been in movies and TV shows a long time before. But the UFO case that's going to make the grey sort of public knowledge is going to be Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, recently, I was at my local comic book uh, store, and their dark horse is now doing a new Project Blue Book comic. And I looked on the cover, and who should I see? I recognize the drawing of an African American in a old car and a, a white woman behind him. And I go, hello, Betty and Barney Hill. So there's a lot, and I've written a lot before on, on this case. But real quickly... On September nineteenth, nineteen sixty-one, Betty and Barney Hill were driving back from a vacation in Niagara Falls, and they saw something, or they claimed to have seen something. It started out as a bright light, it then appeared to be a saucer-shaped uh, vehicle with small humanoid creatures looking out large, you know, windows at them. And then they were plagued by nightmares. And they went to a psychiatrist who, as part of their therapy, basically regressed them in hypnosis. And they basically told the same story about how they were captured, abducted by these aliens. And then they were taken on their ship this is going to be written up in a book called Interrupted Journey which is going to be a relatively smashed success it's going to be made into a movie starring James Earl Jones well made for tv movie but what the heck it's James Earl Jones now this is not going to be the first like a gray like alien in pop culture and in fact about this time there's going to be a Outer Limits episode where the aliens were these gray creatures. When confronted about this, Barney said he had not seen the episode, but he had probably seen the aliens in the commercials. Now, though in the movie, and in most cases now, these aliens are pretty much your stereotypical, what be, we are now known as the Greys. However, there were some differences, which, for lack of a better word, get pruned out of the story, and which is not sort of meshing with what we think of grays are. And that is that the aliens that they claimed abducted them looked a lot like grays, but grays, you know, traditionally do not have a nose. These had very large, carrot like. Well, at least first when they, when they, memories and again you can't see that I'm doing air quotes. I mean I definitely believe something happened to them. I'm not sure that Betty and Barney Hill actually were on on board a, a flying saucer, but when they first had these dreams and memories, uh, the aliens had large noses. In fact, Betty describes it as uh, Jimmy Durante knows you know. Jimmy Durante was of course. Uh, an early 40s, 50s performer known for such an, having a, a large nose, uh, as well as hair. And in fact, what is going to be left out of Barney's story quite often is that he felt the aliens wore basically Nazi-like uniforms. And remember, Barney Hill is a World War II veteran. So with something that scares him, would he perceive it as wearing a uniform of people who tried to kill him, people who hate him for the color of his skin, possibly? But eventually, through hypnosis, we get down more to the description of a traditional gray, um, including pictures, photographs of Betty holding a picture of one of the creatures, you know, in her hand that she drew. So, this has kind of been the preliminary part of part one. And part two, then, what about these aliens that don't quite match our stereotypical view of what a alien should look like? And some famous cases about them, and possibly why do they seem to be one-offs?
0: Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. Twenty-watt amplifiers for under fifty dollars. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under eighty. Guitars themselves for under ninety dollars. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary.
5: Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio.
2: Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Uh, Just reminding you, if you like what you hear... Like this episode, like it on Podbean, like it on Facebook, like it wherever you like podcasts and share it wherever you share stuff that you share. All right, check it out. Thank you. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter, but Twitter sucks, so it's just kind of like a repeater. Anyway,
0: this podcast show doesn't have a theme song.
5: This
0: part
2: everyone welcome back we are talking about jacob's ladder does anyone want to give us a scenario on jacob's ladder
4: i was gonna oh i'm gonna jump out real quickly absolutely there's gonna be spoilers and i'm gonna tell you something because somebody told me how it ends i didn't watch this movie for decades okay so so and and you're right it's what pushing 40 years now Yeah. yeah oh god so, but, yeah, I really do think we need to put a, a spoiler warning. Because, um, like I said, honestly, I didn't watch it for decades because someone told me how it ended. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. So As here's a spoiler warning. Everybody needs a buzzkill,
3: and that's me.
2: Yeah. No, no, um, I mean,
3: seriously, just, like, everybody knows this is a spoiler warning because one of the aspects of this film is talking about its ending and, you know, there's
2: a lot, a lot of feelings about that ending. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So um, yeah, least, we're, we're, we're going to spoil the hell out of this. So if you don't want to get Jacob's ladder spoiled for you, just don't listen to this part six, of the episode. Yeah.
3: Um, I was going to say though, um, Jacob's ladder, 1990 film by Adrian Lynn. <laughs> yeah. 30s, and what, it, what I was going to follow, start us off with is saying, According to the Bible, the book of Genesis 28:10 through 19, a Jacob's ladder it refers to a meeting place between heaven and earth, dreamt of by the patriarch Jacob. The ladder supposedly ascends into a cloud of angels, where Jacob proclaims upon w- w- waking, "How full of awe this is! This place, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." How's that for darkness starting off? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here we are. We meet Jacob at the very beginning of this film, a man who is waking up on the subway.
2: Yeah. Yeah, reading uh, the, stranger the, the, a... the Stranger.
3: Yeah. I thought I couldn't... Re- I wasn't sure. I thought I was reading The Stranger.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's... Okay. Um, oh, man, I'm trying to remember who wrote The Stranger. I'm having a brain fart, but... <laughs> um. I looked into it. I've looked into it before, like, oh, does that have anything to do with this movie? And it doesn't. It's just kind of, I guess, trying to show you that uh, Jacob Singer is a very intellectual guy. He's reading Russian literature on the subway.
3: Yeah. And yeah. Then in that moment, he has like a flashback. And he sees he's looking down the and as he wakes, he kind of looks down the the aisle and he sees this homeless man and then a tentacle recoil. Yeah. For yeah. me, that was the most chilling opening. I was completely struck by that moment. I was pretty young when this film came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it was, I want to say 1990, it was like maybe what, like 14, 13, something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. And it... It was it it was scary. I mean, that was a terrifying thing because well, first off, I thought it was a penis the first time I saw it and I had to rewind back <laughs> to make sure that I didn't just see a penis. And I was like, No, I saw a, a tentacle or a tail or something terrible. And that kind of sets the tone, I feel like, for this film is like we're already seeing this kind of like immediate darkness.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, my understanding that this was actually inspired by a dream that uh, Bruce Joel Rubin had um, on a uh, subway.
2: Interesting. Or at least that's what he's going to later. I I personally try not to sleep on mass transit.
3: (laughs) No, it's terrifying. (laughs) Well, and, like, there's all these moments in this film where there are, like, the... These moments of true horror, and gosh, I mean, you guys want to get into it? <laughs> Go
4: for it! Yeah, so, let's so let's can, can do it. Can I throw it. something out that caught me? Yeah. Sure. Okay, so obviously Jacob, but his last name is Singer, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Take the G out. Jacob Sing. Jacob Sinner. Sinner. Oh,
3: oh, oh I wasn't, I was not here you say take the G. I think I said thumbnails. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's tired. Um, yeah, no, I mean exactly. And like he, they start off with like naming his kids, right? And his girlfriend. And we're like, all right, your girlfriend's name is Jezebel. Your children yeah. are Eli and um, Gabriel and what is the other child's name? Jeremiah.
4: Oh, uh, Gabriel. Of, I'm not sure.
3: Because I remember her saying, why are your kids? And he's like, they're all biblical names. And then you think, oh, okay. And he talks about her name being a biblical name. And she, I mean, Jezebel, um, for some people, like represents the fall of Israel.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, So she's kind of like this, well, we don't know yet that she feels like she's a tether of sorts. I mean, this whole movie is about that. I mean, in, in the sense of like, there's a couple of things happening. We have World War you know, we have Vietnam War yeah. and the experimentation of soldiers um, during Vietnam War, which would have been proven to be a true and factual.
4: Oh, sure. And, yeah.
3: But during that time, during the 1990s, it was still considered kind of conspiracy theory type.
4: Yeah, thing. yeah. yeah. And and so uh, I'm going to kind of I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail this. And I absolutely get that this is not history. Yeah. BZ gas was a real thing. Mm hmm. Absolutely, BZ gas was exp- used on American soldiers, volunteers, uh, in Maryland, and there's this where this scientist got some on his skin, and it basically put him in a three-day waking nightmare. Um, but despite what a lot of people believe, and, and and BZ gas was used in Vietnam on the Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. But it was there's no real evidence, despite the rumors, that it was used on U.S. troops. Mm. And that kind of adds to the story. Well, yeah. To, to me, the, the gas is just symbolic. Yeah. The, this is the anti-Rambo movie to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Rambo, is, Rambo is this 80s mentality, what if we won the Vietnam War? Well, yeah. no, this is saying that they didn't have a chance from the beginning
2: yeah no, this yeah, is it's, it's, this is rampant m k
4: ultra.
3: Well, I think that's what the, makes such an amazing part of the horror elements of it is because there are rooted in some some of the reality and it has some of the those things that were present, especially during that time period, like that we were all the nation was all focused on because we were seeing the effects of things like this happening on the vets from Vietnam.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, and a lot of people are dismissing them as like insane and things,
4: yeah. Absolutely. And I get no. it? Uh, and, and, no, definitely. I, I saw that in a not a, some of my friends' fathers
2: mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. yeah, no, there's, there's 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 a mundane horror about how people are being treated mm-hmm. and also like how vets are being treated. But then there's like this, this this underlying horror of like what actually happened that you're trying to figure out while you're watching this movie and like why is he living with this woman and not with his kids and his and his wife and what happened to that one kid of his and it's like i remember watching this and feeling that and then watching it again after like so many years and being like oh yeah what is going on with this i know how it ends but how do we get there mhm yeah but
3: yeah. the i his descent into hell so to speak i mean there are theories there there are different religious perspectives on hell and one of them being like hell is i think th- they that louis the um, chiropractor even like yeah. uh, quotes this he says um, hell is where you're burning away your um trappings of um of your humanity
2: mm-hmm.
3: and then releasing them and the soul being released is your heaven
2: mhm isn't that what it was? Yeah, something like that.
3: I also love that actor, by the way, that <laughs> was playing yeah. his chiropractor. There
4: were yeah, so many no, great no.
3: actors in this movie. Yeah. I was like, Ow. oh my gosh, Eric LaSalle's yeah. in this. Oh, Vin
4: Rames is in this? I forgot. Yeah, yeah no. Really no, it's, it's... young Louis Black.
3: Really young Louis Black. Really young. Like, he's a the doctor, right? The Navy yeah. doctor? Or the the Army doctor?
4: Yeah. Yep. Uh, Uncredited Macaulay Culkin.
3: Oh, baby Macaulay Culkin. He was so cute. Oh, my gosh, his little sweet face. And he's like, when he's comforting him, I'm like, oh, poor baby.
4: And Jason Alexander. Yes, as the mean
3: corporate. I mean, what was his character, really?
4: The lawyer. Like he was a lawyer? lawyer? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I remember that the woman who played uh, Jazz. She was on a TV show on ABC right around that time called something like I Married Dora, where a guy had to marry his uh, his maid so that she could get a green card. It lasted like two or three episodes before oh, it was canned. it was it wouldn't have it would have, wouldn't wouldn't cut the mustard these days.
3: Oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of stuff back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: She was on a lot of TV though. Oh, show. yeah.
3: Well, she was had that very like, did you read? I don't know if you guys read this about this, but like he had um, interview. he had like um, Madonna tried out for this role, yeah. like Julia Roberts tried out for this role. I just think they cast them so perfectly. Like Tim Robbins has this perfect, like horrified face at times, and they can also make this really soft expressions. He's a really great actor. I, I always forget how much I appreciate his roles, because he oftentimes plays, like, comedy roles, except for, like, Shawshank Redemption and this.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and like, a lot of the roles that he plays in horror, it's, 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 okay. Like, there's certain, like, I I, want to call them, like, straight men in horror, and it's like, Mm -hmm. you've got Sam Neill, who plays a straight man in horror, and then, like, two-thirds of the way through, or, like, the last quarter of the movie, he's part of the horror! And that's not, like, tim robbins tim robbins is like hey i'm this really nice guy who just happens to be in a horror movie and some bad stuff happened to me it's not my fault i don't ever want to be a part of it i just want to be at peace and it's 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 not the same kind of like straight guy in a horror movie it's more kind of like oh shit i need to get out of here i don't i don't, I don't want to be a part of this it's this is this is horror i just need some help but i need to get out of here and it's have you um,
3: seen the movie Pie? Yes. This kind of has... Doesn't this kind of feel like Pie at, at times in that sense of, like, paranormal conspiracy vibe that somebody's going to get you and they're actually trying to get you? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this I has I a, know that, but I haven't actually seen Pie. Gotcha.
3: You should so. see it. You would love it. I feel like you would really love it. Um, also, the the so many good things about this, like the... Um, how the that you know the the head effect that's happening in it? Oh Edinburgh. yeah, yeah. So that I feel like I, if I read properly, this was created by this particular um, director. Yes, so they did that in slow motion, a slow yep. frame rate, and then sped yep. it up.
2: Sped it up, yeah. By and keeping
3: it's... their shoulders stationary and moving their head, like created that effect. And It is terrifying. It's Absolutely. utterly terrifying.
2: Yeah, no, and it's like I can't think of anything prior to this that uses that effect, and then you see it, like, you see it in Firewalk With Me, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Okay. You you start seeing it in music videos, you start seeing it in Japanese horror and American and French and Italian horror movies. You start seeing it everywhere. And it imitated, and then it starts going from the head shake to the s- slow arm walk movement kind of shifty thing. Oh, the,
3: the juxtaposition pose like jump walk thing yes they use in silent hill
2: (laughs) yeah 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 or they yeah (gasps) that stuff Uh
3: yeah i I thought sorry i was standing up
2: (laughs) oh oh, no problem no problem Yeah, I, I realized I was very I'm, excited about that. <laughs> we don't have we don't have cameras on, so right, I'll be nope, just I can hear myself pulling the chair out hands, of like, like yeah, oh, you can't see expanding. what I'm pointing at on my own screen. That's right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh
4: but but, just, but all the effects are practical in this movie.
3: Everything's practical. Nothing yep. was done in post. It was all done live for the camera. Everything. Oh, yeah. I thought the the party scene was chilling. Like all these the descent into the hospital when he says, "I'm not dead," and he's like, "Well, then why are you here?"
2: Yeah. Terrifying. Yes, the, the party scene where uh, Jez has like tentacles coming from around her legs from behind. Um, yeah, dude. Is how I interpreted that. That's that 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 was very kind of like, "Whoa, oh, we're getting into sexy
4: Lovecraft." <laughs> <laughs> Well,
3: oh Lord!
4: So I haven't seen the full ending. Oh, okay. Ending that there's two endings. Yeah, I and just the, stick with the theatrical ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I like though is what, and I haven't seen it, but I've I read up on it, is that, and I, well, is that they explain what Jez is. Okay. And that she's actually part of him. Oh. It's in, in the in the the uh, the original version, which honestly I think it overwhelmed audience. That's why it was such a big hit on DVD and VHS, is that people could stop and watch it. They couldn't do that in the meet, uh, rewatch it. They couldn't do it yeah. in the movie theater. But my yeah. understanding of the original ending, where there's a big fight where he has to fight Jez, it's revealed that she's part of him. She's the part of him that's trying to hold on to him. Stay on the the fetter the tether exactly. Hmm.
3: I mean, if you think about it, she represents things like like um, his his lust is is jazz. like she he's part, she's part of like that primal want and his family is that that wanted to stay with the children and the wife and the and then his friends wanting to stay part of the team. Like, there are those, all those tethers holding his psyche here. I mean, originally this film was going to be uh, Dante's Inferno.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
3: And so it does still feel like it rings true to that of Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Because there, except for him not having a specific guide other than each person he meets. I mean, I guess you would consider the doctor or the, the hippie scientist. Yeah. Or Paul. Not Paul, but uh, uh, what's his name? the the character that was the scientist that tells him about the medication and the, about the drug the latter
2: oh I just think uh, the chemist the chemist yeah. thank you
3: I mean he's yeah. just not he's not like I don't feel like he's a Virgil
2: no but
3: um he does keep showing up so uh, he could be the Virgil character of like showing him around his his um hellscape so to speak yeah but, yeah. I think that was – I mean, honestly, this whole film is so beautiful. The hellscape in general of the film is, well, reality, but, Mm -hmm. like, terrible. Like, just the way that everything looks dirty, everything looks dated and um, overwrought or overused or shadowy put together.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's it's like – it's one of those things where it's, like, it's – 70s new york but you're not sure what part of the 70s it is if it's like late 70s or early 70s and they don't tell you like there's no like musical cues that let you know that what part of the 70s it is and normally filmmakers want you to know with like some ham-fisted uh hit from 1970 whatever what year it is And they, like, show it off with cars, and everything was so nondescript. It's like, what year is this? Is this 78? Is this 72?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and part of me is, like, is what he's living through. And it's like, I know there's, like, stuff that people have said and official, but my, my mind is, like, all the stuff that we see him living and stuff like that was that stuff from before he went to Vietnam, like some of the stuff and just like... Yeah. Anyway, but, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a confusing movie in
4: some ways, but in some ways it's not. And And, and I think that that's why it's such a big plus on the DVD, mm-hmm. because it's one of those rare movies when it first came out, it was loved by critics but panned by the audience. Uh-huh. Well, it's pretty slow for an audience watch. Yeah. And it's not like
3: perfect horror, yeah. so I would see why people, that audience reception would be low. Yeah.
4: But but it, it really went up on on VHS rental uh, and, and DVDs, and I think it's because you can stop it, say, what did I just see, and go back.
3: Exactly. Like I said, I
4: thought, I, thought I saw Venus yeah. the first time. That's I why it. I think it was such more... Uh, Much more well accepted Mm. as as a video as opposed to in the theater, because you know in a theater it's even bad, you know, for him to turn to your friend and say, "What did I just see?"
2: Yeah,
3: I just thought about what I said earlier, saying there wasn't really a Virgil, and I changed my mind. Louis is the Virgil, okay, because of what that phrase that Louis does say. Um, I I just realized it wasn't exactly as I stated. It was more about talking about how that you you're if you're frightened of dying and you're holding on, you're gonna see devils tearing away your life,
2: yeah, but if you've yeah. made
3: peace, then the devils are really angels trying to free you from the earth,
2: yeah, yeah, also Louis rescues him
3: right, yes. yeah, so I feel like maybe he is honestly if you're really looking back at it, he's more the um the guide of uh, like Virgil, but Virgil was more of like a here welcome to this section of hell blah 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 yeah. blah. yeah. This is the suicide forest, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like no, I mean, the mean like seriously, I mean, not, I mean just I'm just kind of like paraphrasing, of course, but like it's it has that vibe. I mean, sure. to me. I could see why it was considered going to be a Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really like the when we keep flashing back and, he has those moments of where it's like, it's kind of an inception moment where mm-hmm. he's talking to his wife and he goes, I had a dream about Jezebel. Isn't that mm-hmm. weird that I was living with Jezebel? That
1: and you're like, work?
3: wait, wait, wait. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, that's like, wait a minute. What's going on here is. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It was, it was good. It was scary. It was really sad. It was um kind of terrifying and, I mean, there are so many moments like that where that kind of stand out of my head that people go, "This is a Jacob's Ladder moment, right?" Where yeah. you see somebody driving past you in the car and they have like a crazy look,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: like that is very Jacob's
2: Ladder. Sure, yeah. And then we start to get. I mean, let's let's talk about the hospital. There's there's the hospital which I I feel like really encompasses a lot of the. Uh, special effects the shake and such and mm-hmm. uh amputees used as um as 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 like people who are missing limbs and I didn't do enough research to find out if the meat chunks were real meat or not but <laughs> they could have But it did been. have like a
3: Johnny Got Your Gun kind of vibe, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It it was uh it was pretty brutal. It was very yeah. brutal. Very brutal. Apparently,
3: they raised that one wheel off the ground a little bit to make it spin like that as they were rolling the cart. That's yeah. when I did read about the effects.
4: Oh wow! <laughs> and, oh wow! That's amazing. And, and yeah. again, for the sort of the the symbolism, you know, yeah. At the time, there's this thought, and, and and truthfully, so that the VA failed veterans mm-hmm. yeah. when they came back from Vietnam. Yeah. And this is being you know, represented physically in what, to me, kind of like, you could have used this as Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it looks like um,
2: photos of, like, uh, Danvers in Massachusetts. Which is the inspiration for Arkham Asylum. And I don't know how much of Danvers is still up, or I think some of it got turned into condominiums or something. Yeah. But it, it used to be this massive place that people would explore, and I don't know if they filmed it in Danvers or if they found some other hospital or mental institution in wherever they filmed this, but it's it it looks like an abandoned mental institution, and that goes a long way. Like, the set dressing goes a long way, and then your extras... And uh, stunt performers added to it, and it's just like the lighting and the sound and the score. It's just like, oh, this is terrifying. And that's something that a lot of people. It's like that particular uh, stretch of the film where it is the hospital. So many people have have like dissected that and like made something of their own, inspired from it. And mm. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Like so many Japanese horror films with the shake and the slow walk, or um, the 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 uh, dilapidated uh, mental institutions, in a lot of horror movies from like I want to say early two thousands. <laughs> it's it's like I feel like a lot of that stuff owes its 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 uh, aesthetics to
4: this movie. Absolutely.
2: Oh,
3: agreed. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the ending?
2: Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Darth Vader is Luke's father.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, at the end, we have him walking into his old apartment, or his old house, yeah. where he sees his dead son sitting on the um, stairwell listening, playing with a toy, and his son is comforting him, giving him hugs, and telling him, it's okay, Daddy, and then says, come with me. Now, this character's name is Gabriel, and Gabriel's role as an angel is to um, bring people like mystics and things like that into heaven, right? I, I thought that was interesting that they had him ascending a stairwell with his dad and then the light kind of brightening. Yes. And then we're cut to 1971, we're in the in the um, infirmary in Vietnam, and he's being declared dead. Yeah. And then they say he tr- fought a tremendous fight to stay alive. Yeah. It's kind of sad if you think about it, because you're like his last moments in life before that moment with his son was just like completely off the rails and terrifying. And the fact that he was that able to see that far into his, or a a could a possible, future. Yeah. Like the fever scene, you think back to that. You're like, what does that fever scene represent? Like when he's like being splashed in the cold water and um, crying and he's, as he's floating in the tub, he's, try so hard to stay alive, even though everyone throughout the entire movie has been telling him that he's dead. He's just not willing to accept it. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, it's just, it's just like a chef kisses, beautiful. I didn't love the subtext afterwards because that was like, that just kind of poopied the story, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I didn't need, I'm okay with him being dead the whole time and that being a mystery. I didn't need that, like, here's the reality stamp of the BZ guest Tests that were actually done and blah blah blah, because that took away some of the beauty and the mystery and the um, watching this descent and ascent.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it would be like if at the end of Total Recall, it's like this was all brought to you by <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> this corporation, Dream. Well, not- yeah, and, and um, I
4: think that maybe, and I don't know why they did that. But I'm thinking maybe they did it to bring... And like I said, historically, I think that's wrong. I know people disagree with me, but I think maybe it was an attempt to bring, you know, attention to the plight of veterans. Sure. And Possibly, then, yeah. I, and I th- you're right. From a story point of view, I think it's self-defeating.
3: Yeah, it just kind of poops on the story.
2: Yeah, okay. I mean, they could have had, like, a veteran hotline at the end. And, yeah. all, and like, like, yeah. like, hey, veterans went through shit. If you know anyone who's going through shit, here's a veteran hotline. Boom. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, BZ gas that's like, oh, so he hallucinated right before and then that was true. But wait a minute. Why does that matter if that way that, a- huh?
3: Well, it takes away the beauty of his, um, of his, um, uh, his plight, right, or the yeah. t- his tumultuous uh, like um, uh, ascent to descent. It's like it takes away the mystery and the majesty of it.
2: Yeah, it yeah, feels yeah.
3: like it just kind of makes it. I don't know, cheap.
2: Mhm. I agree.
3: That so we yep. weren't seeing like a mystical thing, and then we were seeing like a a more of a well. This is brain chemicals when yeah. you die. <laughs> like, thanks.
4: Thanks. And, and, and maybe we're going too far off, but I have often said, speaking of spoilers, the most scary uh, cosmic horror story is Catherine Potter's The Jilting of Grandma Witherall. Huh. Oh, what's that? I don't know if you guys had to read that in the 10th grade, but it scarred me. Oh, wow. And, oh, and, and, And basically, you know, Grandma Weatherall is about to die, and she imagines that you know she's seeing death there, and then she realizes it's not. And then the last paragraph, there's nothing. You know, it just everything goes away. Mm. And I, it's almost, and I don't know, but they're trying to put a double whammy there, that after all of this. There is no heavenly reward. Yeah. There is no heaven because they implied, well, yeah, he's going to heaven, but maybe this double whammy is, you know, this Nietzschean end existence. Yeah. Or like a stuck I purgatory. I just brought down the entire show. Sorry.
3: <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, that's he could be a perpetual, um, like
4: purgatory of types.
2: I mean. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but
4: yeah. Or, or, or if there really is no existence that you just cease to exist, he was right to fight it. Yeah. We, we, in the whole movie, we're thinking at the end, oh, he shouldn't be fighting it. And even the angels, the doctors, even though they are got, they and Louis, they're not really demons. They're just like, they're on Fact. the same time as Louis. They just have different methods.
3: Yeah. yeah they're and like,
4: then, what are you doing here? All all sudden, not that, dead. nope. everything just doesn't exist
3: yeah i mean they're not telling him to fight either if you're if you notice like the doctors are like he's like i this place is terrible then why are you here you know that they're just they're trying to wake him up so to speak
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
3: i liked a lot of i mean i love i love this film it's it's gorgeous it's tragic it does it hits all the right notes I'm normally not somebody who likes like uh, warfare movies. I'm just not into them. But this does a a spectacular job of showing like the horrors of war without being like this is about Vietnam.
4: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. And it does a good job saying that they never left the war. Right. Yeah.
3: And some people haven't, and that's a real fucking tragedy.
2: Yeah, certainly, certainly.
4: Uh, yeah. Jacob.
3: Show, sorry. No, <laughs>
4: no, I, 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 no I think it, artistically, it's a great movie Yeah. if you can rewind it.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Because there are yeah. so many things that are really worth the rewatch. Honestly, you could go on YouTube and look at like a, a greatest hits um, notes of all the things in this film. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I uh watched it again for the first time in a number of years. And there's stuff that I remembered and stuff that I don't remember catching or understanding when I saw it when I was like thirteen or fourteen.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm trying to remember. So it came out in nineteen ninety. Yeah. 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 I think I saw it in
2: 1991 I, on, I, on I,
4: yeah.
3: yeah, I saw it on VHS. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh hey,
2: VHS
4: too. So how long did Oh, I wish that they had. I wish I had seen it without knowing the ending. Yeah. Because if you know how it's going to end, it does, I think, affect what you see in the movie.
0: Oh, this is 33 years ago, you guys. Mm. Oh.
3: <laughs> there are millennials that age.
2: <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, for me, it's it's kind of like how I feel about like uh, Twin Peaks. I wasn't able to watch a couple of episodes. And someone said, oh, yeah, and then, like, ruined Twin Peaks for me. And it's like, I had a VHS waiting at home to watch those episodes as soon as I got home from school, and someone ruined Twin Peaks for me. And then I was like, okay, so I know this person killed Laura Palmer, but there's got to be more to it than just this. this yeah. There's more to it than that. Knowing how Jacob's Ladder ends, it's like, well, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like a caravan of souls. It's kind of like, uh, occurrence at Owl Creek, Creek. yeah. But mm-hmm. how do we, how do we get there? How do we get to that point where we find out they've been dead the whole time? This is their last moments of brain function. This is, this is their descent into the, you know, whatever. This is, this is the end of their life and this is what happened. Um, whether they, uh, you know, are hanging from a rope, get pulled out of a river or are, you know, on a, on a bed mm. in, in, a, uh, uh, in Vietnam. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting story. It's, it's, if you're going to have the whole, oh, they were dead the whole time, it better be an interesting story. Yeah. Or, yes. Yeah. I forward. feel like
3: um fifth element or not fifth element. <laughs> Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense was definitely inspired by this and the and oh. their the twist yeah. of theirs. But we didn't see like um a because well, I guess because his character never moved on, but like we never see him like having the descent into and or having to deal with the repercussions of his tethers or whatnot. Sure. But, yeah. I mean I, I I mean not to not to analyze the sixth sense, but yeah. It's just <laughs> very inspired, you can tell.
2: But
4: yeah. Jacob's totally Letter is a totally movie, influential but... film. Yeah. And I think a strong thing to why this one works so well is the cast. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody feels like a regular person. Yeah. Like everything just feels normal and um, until you like look a little bit past it and it's like, oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah, Everybody has that kind of vibe, like all the soldiers and the friends at the funeral and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, all of that.
2: Yeah, the way people react to each other and the way people talk and stuff like that. It
3: felt natural. It felt like very
2: natural. Conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Except for like when they we were getting on the paranoid parts and talking about the war and.
2: <laughs> yeah. Was, like, a party.
3: That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> sure.
5: Yeah.
2: But yeah, yeah. And arguments felt like arguments you'd hear people having like right. apartment away or something. But yeah, no, it's. In ways, it felt very realistic, and in other ways, it was so terrifying. And the terrifyingness comes from how mundane the movie is in parts. But then, like, supernatural things happen, like, uh, disturbing things happen, and that shakes you up. And then it goes back to being normal, and you never know when it's going to start going back to being weird again, and that adds a little bit of tension to the movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when am I gonna see something like that again? Yikes, that was terrifying.
0: <laughs>
2: it's like they show you something very kind of gory in the beginning, give you a sense of like kind of what the worst part of this could be, and then like scary stuff throughout. And like maybe a gory scene, scary stuff, and then just something shocking at the end. And I feel like that's very much kind of
4: like the the
2: ride for this movie.
4: Yes, I I completely agree with you on that.
2: Agreed. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Jacob's Ladder?
3: No, I think I'm said too much. <laughs> yeah, I think we
2: pretty much covered it. All right, all right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for... Um, oh, before we get into that part, um, it is not funny to recommend Jacob's Ladder as a family movie to someone by saying, hey, there's this Tim Robbins, Macaulay Culkin film called Jacob's Ladder. I think you and your family <laughs> would like it. Because then that coworker will come back to work the next day and yell at you in the break room about a bunch of stuff and it's just not fun.
4: Okay. So. And 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 if you're really a fan of movies about ladders, yeah. There's probably not gonna be enough ladders in it for you. No. And whatever you and whatever you do, don't get the remake.
2: Oh, oh yeah. I heard there's a remake, yeah. 2019.
3: No. Yeah, that was Sad. That makes me sad. I like that actor who played Jacob a lot too, and it's kind of a bummer that he wasn't super good in that.
2: I really think they should have gotten Macaulay Culkin to play Jacob in a new Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> I don't think he it
3: remade. It's one of him, the most influential horror films. It doesn't need to be remade.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. But if if you're gonna remake it, have Macaulay Culkin as like, you know, not not the main character, but as like the uh, the the the. The chemist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to remake it, at least put Macaulay Culkin in it, but don't remake it. Anyway, that's enough for me, everyone. Have yourselves (laughs) a good one. Thank you for uh, listening to PGTTCM. And check us out everywhere. And I've got a phone call, so we'll talk (laughs) to you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye. That was a good show.
4: Hello, DBs, phone mm. call person.
3: <laughs>
2: I got <laughs> to call was, my like, buddy. Perfect timing. Oh, yeah. I'll talk to y'all later. Have a good okay. one. This awesome you too. episode will be up probably next week.
3: All right. Cool. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. I'll talk to y'all in the message. Bye. Cool.
5: Bye. <clears throat> <clears throat>